So this is the third week uh, that John and I are doing a sermon series based on uh, some essays in this little book, What Did Jesus Ask? About some of the questions that Jesus asked. I highly recommend this book. Just a few pages of reflections from a whole variety of different people in response to some of Jesus's really wonderful questions. So when we were deciding which questions we were going to pick out of the many in the book, I had my uh, list of things, topics I thought I wanted to talk about. But this question grabbed me. And it grabbed me because I think it spoke to something I needed to hear, something I'd been wrestling with. It's not a question that I had ever given much attention to at all before. Although I read the passage dozens of times, I was always caught by many other features. So maybe you've had the same experience, and let me remind you of this wonderful question that Jesus raises there in the midst of his arrest. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? It jumped out at me, I think, um, as I was looking at the essay, wonderful essay on this uh, question by Phyllis uh, Tickle. It jumped out at me that it was all related to, in some ways, how it is that I pray. And I needed to hear it because I had suppressed uh, a a niggling question of my own or a a self, uh, an insight I had earlier in the summer. And it was just too much to think about and I just squashed it. We've had an awful lot of people in the congregation who are very ill and as I go into hospital rooms or homes and visit with people, I go um, around all of the fancy equipment and the real wonders of modern medicine, armed just with God's presence and prayer. And uh, it's an honor to be in those spaces. Uh, and we, we value we find it precious to participate in those experiences. Uh, But we do have our own grieving too. And I was leaving a room one day and I, I realized that I had only told God what I wanted. And this just popped into my head, you did not pray thy will be done. And in my dialogue with myself, I said, well, self, you you didn't exactly say all those words. You don't always exactly say all those words. But then my other real self said back, yeah, but you were not even thinking about it. You were just telling God what you wanted and what you wanted God to do. Well, like I said, that was a little bit too 
too uh, troubling for me to think about, and I just suppressed it. And as I was looking at this list of questions, though, and thinking, which ones do I need to preach about? Sorry, usually preaching is about something I need to learn, and you have to just listen in. But it occurred to me, this, this one, that's the question I need to think about. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions, legion is a thousand, 12 legions of angels. So let me help you figure out how this passage helped me and the question. There's a lot going on. So in my defense, the reason I've, I, I, there's so much happening in this story in which Jesus is arrested and right before it, that uh, it's easy to have a lot of different things to pay attention to, even some other really good questions, like the one Jesus puts to the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Could you not stay awake with me one hour? I've given that one a lot of thought. In order to appreciate Jesus' question, we need to go back a little further than just the arrest to the things that happened right before that. So Jesus has had the Last Supper, a Passover supper with his disciples. And in that supper, he's taken a cup and said, this is my blood of a new covenant poured out for you. And he started to prepare them as he's already predicted for his suffering and, and death. And then he goes out with them from the end of that supper and they go and um, are preparing their way to Gethsemane, and he quotes a scripture to them from Zephaniah, the strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, and basically it says, you guys are all going to desert me. Well, Peter says, no, I'm not going to desert you, and, and Jesus says, Peter, not only are you going to desert me, you're going to deny me three times. And then Peter vehemently denies that he's going to deny Jesus. And then they go to the garden. And in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asked three of the disciples particularly, he asked them all to stay there and just be with him and stay awake while he is praying. And three of them come a little closer with him and he asked them to stay awake and pray with him. And then you've, you've all seen depictions of this uh, visually of Jesus in the garden. And it's, uh, you can see the, the struggle on his face. He has three periods of prayer punctuated by going back and checking to see if the disciples are with him, finding that they're not, asking them again to rouse themselves to be with him. And in the middle of this, he's having a conversation with God, whom he addresses as the Father. And the first, the first part of his prayer is, my Father, if, if it is possible, let this cup, the suffering, the death, pass away from me yet not what I want, but what you want. It's certainly a plea to help me understand. God, could, could we work this out another way? 
this new covenant, this new covenant where we're, we're not just making a, a set of laws to help people know the right way to live, but the new covenant as prophesied in Jeremiah is to give them a new heart, a heart that knows the law, a heart that feels related to God. It's a different kind of relational basis for uh, God and the people. Can this new covenant happen some other way? And then in the second and third times, his prayer becomes a little closer. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, if this new covenant cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. The words that he taught the disciples to include in the prayer that he taught them when they said, how should we pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And Jesus goes through that prayer twice. I've often wondered what was going on in that, in that dialogue that Jesus was having with the Father. I, I kind of wondered, was he like, God, surely there's another way. I, I, there are some people who are receiving the message. I wonder sometimes if God didn't say, Jesus, look around you. You've been teaching this 12 people pretty closely, uh, and they can't even stay awake when you ask them to stay awake. Uh, I'm thinking I need to try something pretty drastic. I don't know, but I wonder what is, what is going on in the conversation whereby Jesus kind of shifts from asking what he wants, even though he still asks for God to show what he wants, where Jesus comes out of that time at peace and determined that he is aligned in his will with God's will. He wanted there to be another way for there to be a basis for God's saving relationship with humanity to happen. He wanted to live, not suffer, of course, but in that conversation, he became somewhat at peace. So then when they come, and, and by the way, it's probably, if we take Matthew's sequence of events uh, to be accurate, it's probably while the disciples were sleeping that Judas snuck away to go bring in the guards and have Jesus arrested. So when Jesus is confronted by Judas who betrays him and identifies him with a kiss. The disciples were all then shocked. Oh, he's been telling us this is gonna happen, but here it is, we are not prepared. Why are they not prepared? Maybe because they hadn't stayed awake and were praying and wrestling as Jesus had been. And one of them uh, just takes out the sword and cuts off the high priest's ear 
To which Jesus replies, what makes sense? Put away the sword. Don't you know that people who live by the sword die by the sword? And it's, it, it's not uh, necessarily a, a, an incredible stretch of genius to make that observation. You cannot really fundamentally solve problems of human relationships with violence. It tends to beget more violence. There has to be other stuff. And, and yet, it's understandable. Uh, I think this disciple took out the sword and lashed out because we lash out somehow with violence when we are feeling powerless ourselves. And I, why wouldn't they be feeling powerless? They had, at that point, must have kind of been sinking into them that they had really messed up. And they were really confused. I think probably, um, probably violence is kind of the irrational thing that people do when they feel powerless, can't control themselves. This wasn't a well thought out plan from the disciple. And Jesus, in addition to the teaching, Violence is not the way to accomplish God's plan. Jesus then asked a question that brought them to the heart of things. And in so asking, do you think I cannot call on my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legion of angels? He identified for them a question, do you think that this is happening because I have no power? Do you think this is happening because God has no power? Do you think it's happening because God's hanging me out to dry? That's not Jesus' understanding. There could have been angels taking up our cause. Now Jesus, uh, it's interesting that Jesus brought up uh, angels here, at the very beginning of his ministry, right after his baptism, remember he's driven out into the wilderness and he's there for 40 days and 40 nights. And you know, in a couple of the gospels it tells us he, he had temptations that he endured by uh, Satan. And one of the, the, the first temptation was literally Jesus. Psalm 91 says, you can, you, son of God, you can do whatever you want to. Throw yourself off from the top of the temple. Angels will guard your feet. They won't even let you strike a stone. They'll protect you. Call on them if you are the son of God. And Jesus says, it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to a test. After, though, the temptations have been met by a faithful Jesus and resisted. It says, then the angels ministered to him in the wilderness before he began his ministry. And angels were part of Jesus' story from the beginning, from the con 
announcement of his conception to the announcement of his birth to this time in which he is aware he could call upon them. The angels are part of the announcement of Jesus' resurrection. Angels are at work uh, throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament with helping call the prophets into their work, sometimes wrestling with people, sometimes being agents of God's surprises. Phyllis Tickle says, you know, we can put away thinking about angels with wings necessarily. We've gotten a lot of pictures of angels in our heads, but oftentimes in the scriptures, they're very underplayed in terms of description of their looks and they just look like people. She says the question for us that is still relevant raised by Jesus, if there aren't actual angels or for lack of a better term, are there divinely orchestrated interveners and messengers and agents which operate within our sphere but are not yet subject to our descriptive comprehension or analysis? What if we do indeed, as our forebears have all said and as the Christ facing his own submission to torture and death dares us to believe? What if we do indeed live within an angel-inhabited cosmos? And depending on how we answer that question, if we deny that we live in an angel-inhabited cosmos, what do we do with all of the scriptures in which God has some kind of agent at work in the world. Now, one of the really wonderful things I love about her essay is she, uh, some of them answer the question. She doesn't try to answer the question. She leaves it open, uh, and I wanted to answer the question. I wanted to be able to give some great example about, oh, angels still today. Uh, and then I thought, gee, I never did. It, this was happened during the decade. I was not watching TV because I had no time. I missed the whole, whole series of Touched by an Angel. I wish I'd seen some of those and maybe got have some examples from that. How many of you watched that, mo that show when it's on? Okay, there you go. Uh, and uh, this week at a conference, Alan and I were, uh, someone told a, a, a testimony of someone who'd been, uh, they'd known in their ministry who had a wonderful story that I think was kind of about an angel, but uh, I thought it was cheesy to use somebody else's story that I heard from somebody else. And uh, so I thought maybe, and then it occurred to me, uh, just popped into my head. I hadn't thought about it and forgotten about it. It happened years ago and at the time it was huge, but you know, life keeps moving on. But, uh, and. Years right after I was divorced and I was a mess. I was lost, I was a mess. I had to go to a, start going to a new church and uh, I went to this, uh, I, I'm, I'm United Methodist, but I started going to this Episcopalian church because it was uh, within walking distance and it was, believe it or not, this church was so um, uh, kind of uninterested in each other 
that even though there were only 30 people in the pews, you could go in and be anonymous, and I really liked that. And, um, be, and so I started going to this Episcopalian church, and one of the things that jumped out at me right from the very beginning was that it was amazing that a church with 30 people had a fantastic organist. I mean, this guy made that little stone-dwelling rock. And because I sat where you sit when you want to be anonymous, which was the back row, close back by the organ at the back, I got to know him uh, a little bit. And one day, um, I was singing hymns, and he heard me singing, and he said, hey, would you like to do a solo? And I was like, I don't do solos. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, li I like to sing hymns, but I don't do solos. But uh, he kept, a week after week, he kept bugging me about it. And I finally thought, well, hey, I don't know anybody here. Why not? So uh, I went in, and, and he practiced a solo with me. And in the course of that time, um, and it's amazing, I can't even remember his name. Uh, in the course of that time, I, I told him that I played the piano. And he said, oh, what would, but I, I said, I, I, since I moved down, I don't have a piano, I, I don't play anymore, but I, I just, I really love to play the piano. He said, oh, you can play the organ. I said, oh, no, I can't because for years my church organist had said to me, the organ is like playing bridge and the piano is like playing rummy. And I was clearly a rummy player in a bridge world. And um, so I said, no, no, I can't. And he said, I'll show you some things. So he started uh, showing me a few things on the organ and then he said, hey, you wanna use my key, you can come in and practice. I started then going in for about an hour a week and playing hymns on that organ and trying to learn how to use the feet um, pedals. And um, it started really healing my soul. And uh, then one day he, he said, um, I'm going to be gone next Sunday. These are the hymns they're doing. Can you play for me? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't really, I'm really not an organist, but I'll, he's like, oh, come on. So I'll try. So I filled in for him. And then uh, a couple weeks later, I was downstairs helping teach my kids Sunday school class. There were five kids in Sunday school. And um, someone came down and they said, the organist hasn't shown up yet. Can you play today? I was like, okay, I'll try. I played, and then he was back for a couple weeks, and I told him, hey, I ended up filling in for you. What's the deal? And then a couple weeks later, he just didn't show up and never came back. And I said to the, uh, I said to the people there, I, they said, you know what? We're a little bit concerned. He's single. We sent sheriffs to his house to, to find out, um, you know, make sure he's okay. And it was totally cleaned out. There was no one there. And I, and I said, well, don't you know his family? Can you call some family or something? And they were like, well, we really don't know him that well. He just started here right before you started here. And, um, and they said, would you be our organist? And I said, I really can't be an organist. I'm not an organist. They said, you did okay, good enough for us. Because, I mean, I thought this guy was great. I, I guess they were okay with good enough for and I played there, and here's the thing. 
it not only healed my spirit, but I was dirt poor during those days. I had uh, trouble putting food on the table. I was in graduate school and newly divorced. And um, the check that I wrote for my $12 a week tithe, uh, every time I wrote it, I thought, man, there goes bread and milk. And, but it was my hope uh, that I was anchoring the plate. And um, when they asked me to play the organ, they said, um, we'll pay you. And I said, oh, I, I, you shouldn't pay me because I'm not, I'm not really an organist. And they said, no, we'll pay you. I said, they paid me $80 a week, which made all the difference in the world. It meant birthday presents. It meant gas to go home for Thanksgiving to Ohio. And when I look back on that guy whose name I can't remember, I thought, my gosh, I was in the wilderness and I had a ministering angel. And I, it made me think, how should I pray? How should I pray? It seems to me that one of the messages from Jesus last night of his life and his praying in the garden and his challenge to the disciples, this isn't happening because God is powerless here, nor has God stopped listening to me. Our wills are in tune. And in some ways that seems like the most human thing of Jesus because really illustrating humanity and divinity united so perfectly. He could not have really seen all of the details of how it was going to happen, what was going forward. He was still caught in some ambiguity there in terms of the game plan. But he trusted God's heart, God's will, and it was an act of submission to one who would only ask for submission because he has the power to do marvelous things with it. So how should we pray? What does it mean if we would answer, yes, I, I believe I do live in an angel-inhabited cosmos, now, we're not being encouraged to put our faith in angels or our faith in miracles. We're just being encouraged to put our faith in God, who has resources and power beyond our understanding. I think I will try again to remember to ask for what I want and what others want, but also to really be trying to align myself with God's will and even uttering
thy will be done. Amen.